baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and it's time for another chat about what's going on with the Atlanta Braves. And man, was this a busy week for the Braves and the rest of baseball. The trade deadline has come and gone as of 4 p.m. Eastern on Friday afternoon, and we got a lot to unpack on this episode of the show. I'll have Corey McCartney of Talking Chop joining me in just a bit. But before we get started, I want to remind you, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. I appreciate all those ratings and reviews. Please keep those coming. They help out the show immensely. If you want to follow along on social media, you can find me on Twitter at Grant McCauley. The show is at From the Diamond with an underscore on the end. Over on Instagram, I'm at Grant McCauley there. And the show is at From the Diamond. You can find every episode of the show as well as articles and videos and anything else I can throw your way happening at FromTheDiamond.com. So a very, very busy week around Major League Baseball and a very busy week for Alex Anthopoulos and the Atlanta Braves. And to talk about all the trade deadline comings and goings, I want to welcome Corey McCartney into the show. Of course, Corey and I have done quite a few of these podcasts over the years. Corey, great to have you back on board and looking forward to really, I guess, unpacking what exactly the Braves have done and hopefully what it's going to mean for them over this next couple of months. Yeah, I'm excited, Grant. I'm always happy to talk with you. I always feel like it's it's like Captain America rounding up the crew and we're, we're going to go take some guys down. At the very least, we're the Howling Commandos, or maybe we're just Captain America and the Winter Soldier. So regardless, I think we're going to have a lot of fun on this, and it is good to be back with you again. Of course, you can follow Corey on Twitter, at Corey J. McCartney. You can find his latest work over at Talking Chop, and he, of course, is the author of Tales from the Atlanta Braves Dugout, so make sure to get a copy of that as well. But as far as Tales from the Atlanta Braves this week, they're trade tales, Corey, and we've got so much to get into because I think we just witnessed one of the busiest trade deadlines in MLB history, at least I believe. And at the very least, it's the busiest in recent memory. The Atlanta Braves were in the thick of this. Alex Anthopoulos wheeling and dealing quite a bit since the All-Star break and the loss of Ronald Acuna Jr. He'd already added Jock Peterson and then Steven Vogt brought those guys on board. Now we welcome back Adam Duvall, as well as fellow outfielders Jorge Soler and Eddie Rosario. And Anthopoulos also made a move. I think most fans were clamoring for go get a reliable bullpen arm to help that group out. Richard Rodriguez is that guy. He's coming over from the Pirates. So quite a busy day, really a busy month for Anthopolis. But I would say, Corey, that Atlanta's roster got some much-needed reinforcements, and the Braves really didn't have to part with the top prospects in the system to do it. Now the onus is really just on the players to go out and try to find a way to start winning consistently. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to say Bryce Wilson is someone that they know of. I mean, it's it's not mm-hmm. – when you think about the people that they've moved along these years, I mean, they've never parted ways with a guy. And, and Wilson was obviously at one point the sixth-ranked prospect in this system per pipeline. But they've not ever really lost one of the, the real top-end guys, and, and they didn't again. And they, you know, they go out and meet some needs. And I found it interesting – I know you were on the call with Anthopolis yesterday as mm-hmm. well – how 
they didn't see a deal to get an everyday option in the outfield that they felt comfortable with. So they go depth and they certainly went out and added some outfield depth. I think they, I, I feel like every name that I've mentioned in the past couple of years is, is guys that I thought they could have brought in with yeah. one point or another as an outfielder for this team just got acquired in the last two weeks. <laughs> it's like the usual um, suspects. Yeah. I love the, the depth of that now. And, and I'm huge on Richard Rodriguez. I mean, I think you, you can look at the way that the ERAs, is jumped up quite a bit for him since that really hot start that he had in May, but this is a guy who limits walks. So I, I think from that end, you got an established guy who's going to be more of a Swiss army knife mm-hmm. um, that can jump around pitch, you know, in a number of different situations innings. So I think they did well. I mean, it's it, obviously when you see Max Scherzer and Trey Turner going to the Dodgers yeah. and you see all these insane moves, mm-hmm. this kind of feels like, eh, but it, what they I don't they weren't in swing for the fence mode no. and then they didn't swing for the fence and they did I think they did something where you can't argue that they're not better than they were 48 hours ago yeah and I think that's important to point out and I will say that with the loss of Ronald Acuna Jr. that had to change at least a little bit the trajectory for 2021 when you're the general manager who was thinking about making your club better how much better can you make them when you have lost what is typically viewed as your best player Freddie Freeman, all respect to him, he's been great lately, and that's certainly been helpful when you don't have Ronald around. But this was the kinds of moves that I really expected, if they were going to happen, that they could happen in bulk. You could make a lot of smaller moves to fix some of the obvious weaknesses this team had, and depth in the outfield was certainly a big problem. Even before Ronald Acuna Jr. went down, you didn't get what you wanted to out of Christian Pache. You were trying to mix and match. You finally cut ties with Ender and Ciarte. You had all of the struggles and the off-field woes that took Marcelo Zuna away from the club. You really didn't have anything that you penciled in on opening day thinking this is going to be our consistent three men in the outfield. So yeah. when you go out and get a guy like Jorge Soler, a guy we know and Adam Duvall, very similar players, ton of power, going to be a ton of strikeouts. I think that we'll follow those guys around, but they are the kind of hitters that can get hot and maybe carry a club for a series or two. And you just don't have guys like that right now. I mean, I don't see Guillermo Heredia, who has played admirably and pressed into pretty much everyday duty at this point. Abraham Almonte, like these guys have certain ceilings. They've bounced around the league for a reason. Meanwhile, Soler, Adam Duvall, who we certainly know, even Eddie Rosario when he becomes available, I feel at least a little bit more comfortable that Alex Antopoulos went out and said, can we get some hitters that have a little bit of a track record or a little bit more power that we can plug into this lineup? Because after the number four spot in the order, which right now I think is occupied by Austin Riley, there's a big drop off in five through eight in the order. And then you got to round it out with a pitcher spot. Yeah. And let's also not forget that as Anthopolis brought up yesterday, there's no more waiver wire deals. Exactly. So you've got to go out. And if you feel that you have an issue with positional depth, You've got to be overly aggressive at this deadline. So that's why you go and get, you know, a Rosario who, yeah. you know, is, is dealing with an oblique injury and is going to be like a couple weeks away here. Sure, sure. But you get him now with the anticipation that this could be just as sizable as getting somebody in what that, you know, used to exist in that secondary trade deadline. Mm-hmm. You just don't realize some of the little nuances and things that have changed. And I'm saying this even as somebody who's followed the industry around and really been keyed into the trade deadline for Years and years and years is something we all, I think, look forward to almost as much, maybe not quite as much, as the hot stove because there just hadn't been as much movement lately. But things were going pretty crazy over the last, like, 24 or so hours, or at least in the 24 hours leading up into the trade deadline on Friday. But this has been, I think, to kind of go back to what the Braves did here at their trade deadline, in a very weird and inconsistent season for them. They haven't been able to climb over 500 all year, which still seems just 
mind-boggling because even if they're not the best team in the National League East or the National League, you would think that at least this club would have enough to get above 500. And if you start to break it down in a lot of different ways we have on this podcast, well, they probably should have been above 500, probably should be <laughs> above 500 right now. I don't think there's any two ways about that. But none of these moves at the deadline were as costly as we've already discussed. The biggest young talent that Anthopoulos parted with was Bryce Wilson in the Rodriguez trade with Pittsburgh. And I know there are some folks that felt the Braves should just go ahead and concede this season as well, sell off pieces like Charlie Morton or Drew Smiley or uh, perhaps others because, you know, they just felt like you can just try again next year. You can wait till the winter and reload. But I don't think Anthopoulos, Brian Snitker, or the team really felt that way because of how winnable the National League East still appears to be. The Mets are not running away with this division, and I don't think you can start waving the white flag this early, especially in the month of July, with a chance to perhaps make your club better. So the National League East is the only reason that they're doing this, right? I mean, if sure. they were, if this was any other season or any other division, you wouldn't be talking about them feeling they were still in it, right. struggling to get above 500. But you know, certainly the West has the wild cards locked down, right? I mean, you yeah. look at Fangraphs playoff projections they've got the Padres at 80.6 percent chance of making the playoffs they get the Giants at 95.2 you got the Dodgers at 98.8 yeah and then you have the Braves at 13.4 sure I mean and it's 1.4 percent chance of winning the wild card so mm-hmm. everything is about that division right. and obviously Athopolis mentioned that yesterday that you know they've all had challenges but you know really the best thing going for them is that they're in the NL East and then comes word yesterday that Jacob DeGrom has had a setback, and yeah. he may not be available to September. So all of a sudden, the Mets, who obviously went out yesterday and got Javier Baez, obviously they've had tons of injury issues anyway, but they, they feel that much more vulnerable. Sure. And you know, I think that's where it is right now. So if you can go for a run, and as you know, was brought up yesterday on the call mm-hmm. with the GM, wildcard teams can go on runs in the postseason. You never know what's going to happen. You just got to get in and um, you know, kudos to him for f- having that train of thought because, you know, my entire process of looking at this deadline was, okay, let's, if you're going to do this, get somebody you can hold on to. Well, mm-hmm. they did that with Richard Rodriguez. They still have yeah. him for, you know, for, uh, for another year of control. The other ones are rentals, but, you know, at least you serve two purposes in your, in what you did yesterday. So it's going to be interesting in a, in what's shaping up to be a very interesting division. It certainly is. And as I look at this, and I guess we have to ask ourselves, or what we are asking right now is, did the Braves do enough to win a division for a fourth straight year? And I think we look at these trades as a mix of trying to add to the weak spots with those being Atlanta's outfield, which has been largely unproductive after the loss of Acuna. Then you get Rodriguez into the bullpen to help out in big spots, wherever those may be. Again, a Swiss Army knife. I like that a lot, Corey. I think that's how they're going to look at him. I think this is what they needed to help make the team better, even if it wasn't that series of blockbuster trades that some other clubs did pull off. Anthopolis didn't part with much. And that has to send a message to the team that the front office wasn't just giving up right now and hanging them out to dry. Obviously, too, you know, it's always the underlying storyline with this team is that you've got Freddie Freeman going into free agency. And and I'm not trying to paint any kind of a picture of Freeman leaving town, but I think you you want to show you're the reigning MVP as well that that you're there, you're getting behind him, and you're you know you're doing as much as you can to support this team and support him, and you know put them in a position. I mean, it would have been easy, as you had mentioned, just to go trade Morton, trade Smiley, maybe even trade Will Smith. You sure. know, if you to get what you could have and look towards the future when Acuna is healthy and Mike Soroka is healthy. But you know, I I, I mean, I I think this was it, it, this was it, it wasn't the Troy Tulowitzki kind of David Price moves we've seen no. him make. No. But this was some very deft 
moves for Minneapolis. I think, mm-hmm. you know, to, to go out and meet needs and do it in, in a, in a way that didn't cost you much at all. Yeah. And in fact, let's go through this. I know, you know, most folks are listening to this podcast at this point have probably had some time to really assess these trades and say, Hey, we didn't give up much. Did we get that much better? Do we like the guys that we got in here? And I think these are fair questions to ask. And I think the answer to, did they give up much is no. How much did they get in return, though? I think you have to start looking at where the club wasn't really clicking this year. And unfortunately, for a variety of reasons, that's been throughout the lineup. And injury and inconsistency have been big players in the lineup. Unfortunately, too big of players in the lineup this year. But the Braves still have some very talented hitters in Ozzie Albies, in Freddie Freeman, in Austin Riley, as well as going out and getting Jock Peterson. Dansby Swanson's kind of up and down. They're going to have Travis Darno coming back. So that was kind of what you were working with before you went out and made these deals. And I just don't think that that group was enough. Going back out to get Adam Duvall, bringing him back in. He's got 22 home runs this year, OPSing a little bit over 750. But we've seen what Duvall can do with the Braves. We've seen what he's done against the Braves this year, too. So I think if Alex Antopoulos made one great move among all of these, it may have just been not having to play against Duvall anymore this season so he leaves Miami he comes back to the Braves it cost the Braves Alex Jackson in order to do this deal but I think we can circle back to the winner and just kind of wonder would the Braves have been better suited bringing Duvall back back then I think with the benefit of hindsight well yes but I would also say you could probably file this under better late than never and I still think that Duvall has some time right now to make an impact and we've seen what he's been able to do in the past when he gets hot yeah, so a $7 million mutual option for 2022. I mean, I, I think considering the fact that they weren't willing to sign in this offseason, I, I would imagine they probably don't pick that up. But, uh, you know, I think it's, this is going to be a nice opportunity for him. And, you know, when you get Soler and you get Duvall and you get Rosario together, mm-hmm. I mean, it's who's going to play center field, right? I mean, Duvall has 53 innings under his belt there this year for the Marlins, 54 in his career. Uh, Rosario's played there. I mean, the, the great thing about this, though, is that when you think about Jock Peterson, obviously, as well, that, you know, they, they can mix and match a little bit here. And yeah. I, I think it, it presents some interesting opportunities. But it's, you know, and then you've got, you know, obviously Abraham Almonte and Heredia and Adrianza and, you know, RRC. I mean, there's going to have an influx of people to try to figure out how this whole thing works now. But you look at three acquisitions in Peterson, Rosario, and Soler. We're all hitting below league average at this point. I mean, Duvall's the only one that's hitting above. I think he's the crucial one here, right? I mean, are, are they going to be able to get a consistency out of him that they honestly have been lacking since Ozuna, basically for him from for most of the season? Yeah, Ozuna's production was nowhere close to what it needed to be even before he got injured and then, of course, ran into his off-the-field troubles as well. Braves didn't really get anything out of that deal, and it was one of those decisions that, again, with the benefit of hindsight, I think everybody would like to have that one over in the same way that trying to figure out whether or not to tender Duvall a contract because it looked like on arbitration he was going to make up over $7 million, and I just don't think the Braves were prepared to give him that. So to your point, are they going to pick up their half of a $7 million mutual option in the offseason? We'll find out. But history probably indicates that, you know, Adam Duvall as a rental right now was a move that the Braves felt very comfortable with making because of how well they know him, how well I think he has produced at times this year. He can be a little bit streaky. There's no two ways about that. And also, as Anthopoulos joked, and as we talked about a couple minutes ago, he hit 368 with five of his 22 home runs against the Braves. So not having to play him anymore might have just been just at least a little bit, maybe 1% of the reason why he go out and make a deal like that. But getting Duvall back, looking at what's going to happen in the outfield in terms of where you can deploy these guys, I went back and looked at everyone's outfield innings, as you did as well. 
Jock Peterson's the guy that's got the most experience in center field, the mm-hmm. majority of it coming in his first three or four years in the league. But I think over the final couple of months of the season that you could send Jock Peterson out there. Maybe you have some times where Heredia gets a start against a lefty if that's the way that you want to go about it. Or you start Duvall in center field. They do have options, as you pointed out. But I would think that when you go out and you get Duvall and you get Solaire and you get Eddie Rosario and you add them to Jock Peterson, all of those moves were made. It was twofold. Number one, you lost Ronald Acuna Jr. You got to do something about that. Number two, none of the guys you had in-house were guys that you could afford to play every day. They just weren't going to make a big enough impact. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, we've seen Christian Pache struggle at the major league level. You know, everyone's been clamoring. It was, we've talked about, you know, before on, on your show about Drew Waters, and, and, you know, he's obviously been hitting extremely well, but maybe feeling that those guys are just not the answer right now. And, um, you know, I've, I've been really high on Soler in the past, and I know that he's not having uh, the greatest of seasons. But this is a guy two years removed from hitting 36% above league average he had 48 home runs yeah, two years ago the majors. so yeah i mean this is this is value there's value within that bat and you know i think the exit velocity is still there the peripherals the, basically the same peripherals that you looked at when they got azuna and said okay this is why this guy can still be an elite kind of bat they're still there they're they're there with with solaire it's mm-hmm. just trying to find them a way for those to consistently pop because they have not at this point in the year yeah, I, I said led the majors, but I think he was a couple home runs behind Pete Alonso a couple of years ago. But it was a monster season for Solaire. He didn't do a whole lot yeah. in 2020. He struggled a little bit. He struggled more this year. Had started to put things together the last few weeks. So maybe you just grab a hot bat at the right time. And this is somebody that you can plug in there and see what you can get out of him. It's, it's taking a flyer. And again, it's trying to add some quality depth in a place where I just don't think you can continue to play Guillermo Heredia. Abraham Almonte, and even Adrianza, for that matter. And, of course, you released Ender Inciarte, so that kind of shows you where they felt they were at in the outfield at this point. So bringing over Soler from the Royals didn't really cost him much. It cost him a high reliever named Casey Kalick, who I'm not overly familiar with. Kind of a stuff pickup for the Royals is what it looks like. And then for Soler, see if he can cash in on a new uniform and a new opportunity and resemble the player that he was in 2019 because 48 home runs, and uh, well over 100 runs knocked in. Those are things that look great. But a sub-700 OPS, a batting average below 200, and only 13 homers this year, doesn't seem like the same player. But again, he's been hot lately. So I think that, you know, you just give yourself an opportunity by throwing more depth at the situation. Yeah, you know, I'm digging into his stack cast numbers a little bit here. His hard hit rate is 51.4%. So, I mean, he's in the 91st percentile yeah. uh, in terms of okay. there. I mean, he's at 95th percentile in max exit velocity, 90. 91st percentile in average exit velocity. I mean, not 86% in barrel percentage. So this guy's going to hit the ball, and he's going to hit the ball hard, and we'll just see how consistently he can do that in a Braves uniform. Yeah, that's going to be the big question. A guy that won't have the opportunity immediately to start hitting the ball hard for the Braves, of course, is Eddie Rosario. He comes over from the Indians for Pablo Sandoval. Pablo was a great story for that first four or five weeks of the season, but couldn't buy a base hit for the last couple of months. Hate to see him go in terms of, I think he – Added a lot to the overall dynamic of the club, but when it came down to it, his role as pinch hitter, he just wasn't getting the job done there, and you just, I don't think, have time to sit around and wait for things to change. At this point, moves had to be made. We certainly wish Pablo well. He's already been released by Cleveland as well, so that was more of a salary dump to get Rosario from the Indians. Bray's willing to take that on because this is a guy that has hit above league average the past, what, three or four years for the Twins, mm-hmm. has proven himself as a pretty good power hitter, Averaging about 25 homers per year, I believe, with Minnesota. 
Not as much this year, but there has been, I think, a little bit of extra base hit potential. He's driven in some runs for Cleveland, but dealing with an injury that's going to have him on the shelf for a couple of weeks. But I think he hit the nail on the head earlier. Eddie Rosario wasn't gotten to make that immediate impact because, yeah, he is injured. But if you want to go out and try to get Eddie Rosario in two or three weeks, that option or players like him may not be available anymore because you don't have those waiver trades you used to have. Yeah, so his last four seasons with the Twins, he averaged 111 weighted run created plus, had no fewer than 24 home runs over his final three full seasons. That'll work. Uh, in Minnesota. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously positional versatility with him. You know, he plays all three outfield spots. Um, he's been in left field, though, for uh, almost 600 innings uh, so far in 21. So, um, you know, but it's an oblique injury, and we've seen oblique injuries pop up and then you come back and they pop mm-hmm. up again. So that, that's kind of, this is the tricky situation, right? But you, the, the great thing about the, when they've got him and the fact that they have so many outfield options is you don't need him right away. So, I mean, I think that's one of the best things. You can look at this, and the other side of it, as you mentioned, I mean, the Indians already moved on from Sandoval. So if you get anything from Eddie Rosario, it's a, it's a win yeah. at this point. I mean, because it was basically salary rearrangement. So if you can mm-hmm. get... Uh, you get any kind of contribution from this guy, I think this is going to end up being a valuable move. And I, I, honestly, I mean, when he was not tendered by the Twins at 29 years old, I mean, I, this is someone I thought was going to be in the Braves' radar anyway. I agree. Um, to add some bench versatility. So it's nice to see him in the fold. This is somebody I think that had been on the radar before, and it was a chance to revisit that and, again, see if he's able to come back strong and help you as you go down the stretch. Because as we've looked at this year, and unless or until the Mets make their run, or the Braves simply fall out of this race, you're kind of fighting the calendar as much as anything else, I would guess. And you can use all the reinforcements you can get. So adding Rosario to Soler, adding him to Duvall, adding him to Jock Peterson, I think they did throw a lot of depth at this situation. And and to kind of go back to the outfield deal, I think that an outfield of Rosario, Peterson, and Duvall probably gives you the better of the two defenses, but I think that Solaire is the guy that's going to get the crack probably, I would guess, in left field, maybe with Peterson in center and Duvall in right field. I mean, that would seem like to me it would make a lot of sense, at least on most days. Yeah, it feels like they just have like a B version of what they had before, right? I mean, I'm not trying to say that Jock Peterson's Ronald Kenya Jr., but you basically, you had some defensive questions with Azuna and you had some defensive questions with Solaire, but you get the power and, you know, now they're doing the exact same thing with some different guys, but yeah, I think you just hit it. I mean, I think that's, you're, you're going to get a better defensive look with Rosario, but you do have that specter of power with Solaire that I think is going to be a really nice weapon for them. I believe I said that Solaire would be playing in left field. I think it's going to be more of a right field thing for him. Duvall being familiar with Truist Park left field, I think being a little bit more challenging anyway, better spot to put him. And Solaire, I think he'll be fine in right field. And really, it's all about the production these guys give you at the plate. Duvall, he brings a little bit of extra defense. Peterson, I think, is going to be fine in center field, at least for the not-too-distant future. This seems like the three the Braves are going to roll with until they can get Rosario in this mix. And as we've said, that's going to be a couple of three weeks. Hey, it's a major league lineup that when you look at it now, it's got a bunch of guys you've heard of. No doubt. that is something you can say was not there uh, a couple weeks ago. You know, we chuckle about that. But, I mean, as you look at what the Braves are throwing out there against the Brewers, you do feel at least a little bit better on the name value standpoint of it. And it's not like you're getting 36, 37-year-old Jorge Soler or – Adam Duvall or Jock Peterson, for that matter. They're all still relatively young. You mentioned that Rosario's 29 years old. So these are guys that should have a little bit of tread left on the tire to varying degrees and guys that have had some success. And I think that it sends at least a message to your club that we're trying to find some solutions here 
to help patch this thing together. Losing Ronald Acuna Jr., again, not to dwell on that, but that was the thing that you could put at the top of the list of just what the Braves could not afford on their trek to try to get back to the postseason in 2021. It had to be losing Ronald Acuna Jr. for any significant amount of time. And as it turns out, we won't be seeing him again until next year. I think the worst message that they could have sent was to pack it in when you're four games out. Yeah. If they were in, you know, the central, if they were in, you know, the West, completely understandable. I think packing it in in this division and this year would have been a really bad message. And um, kudos to the Braves for not doing that. But the Braves weren't just out there buying outfielders, though, Corey. They did something that I think everybody was looking at Alex Anthopoulos and eagerly anticipating, and that is adding some kind of help to this bullpen. And the name of that help is Richard Rodriguez, who was having really an outstanding season with the Pittsburgh Pirates. He may not be the name that comes to mind as the top relievers in the National League if you're rifling through them, but he's certainly been one of those as well. We talked a little bit about him, but for a bullpen of the Braves, it needs all the help it can get. Having a guy come in with a sub-3 ERA that's been able to lock down some saves that can pitch in leverage situations and comes in and throws strikes, and really all it cost you was Bryce Wilson and another right-hand pitching prospect by the name of Ricky DeVito, and you can have Rodriguez around for a little while. I think this was probably the low-key gem, if you will, of what Anthopoulos was able to do at this trade deadline, get some help, and have that guy stick around for a minute completely agree and I actually wrote that same thing yesterday at Talking Chop. I think this is going to end up being the best of these deals. I mean, you grab a, a guy who's under club control through 2022 um, among the league's best at limiting walks. He's at 117 per nine. What's He's kind of interesting though because the fastball isn't eye-popping. He averages 93.1 miles an hour, but the, it, it, he's in the 94th percentile on spin. So it's, I mean, it's hard to square it up. You know, guys, uh, he gets, you know, I think from that end, it makes it's it's really interesting. Um, you know, one of the things that about him though, he he had 13.1 Ks per nine in 2020, and he's down to 7.74 this year. But he's using his slider almost 15 percent less than he did last year, hmm. and is loading up a lot more on fastballs and getting fewer strikeouts. But that fastball has so much movement on it that he's the guys aren't really squaring it up. So it's kind of an interesting, he's traded off strikeouts to induce more ground balls, basically. A strange case, because as much as we, you know, like to talk about guys that ratcheted up or, you know, this is a guy who doesn't throw especially hard. It's just in an era where we're, we're wondering how many times guys can barrel up a ball, it's really hard to do it against Richard Rodriguez. Yeah, no, he's been incredibly hard to square up. And even looking at over 13 strikeouts per nine last year, as you mentioned, just under eight strikeouts per nine this year. He's also walking less, and he's given up fewer homers. Hit rate's right about the same. Whip's right about the same. Fielding independent pitching is right about the same. The ERAs themselves are right about the same. So the only thing that's really different for him is he's striking out less guys, but he's certainly not out there giving up a bunch of hard contact and just kind of getting by by the skin of his teeth. So I think it's a guy that the Braves, at the very least, are going to be happy to have in their mix. And again, it did not cost them one of their very, very top prospects, somebody they didn't want to part with, like a Drew Waters, or a Christian Pache, or Shea Langoliers, or William Contreras. I mean, these are guys that the Braves would like to keep around, obviously, to continue to build from their minor league system. And we've talked a lot, I think, about trades and the money that the Braves put into this. I thought this was really fascinating. I saw this in the AJC this morning on a tweet that was just, you know, bumping across the timeline. $6 million is what the Braves have added to their payroll by making all of the moves that they have made. I think that's a pretty shrewd bunch of moves for Alex Anthopoulos that didn't cost a lot in prospects, aren't going to cost a ton in salary, 
and could very well make an impact depending on how these guys perform in helping the Braves finally find that very hard-to-grasp consistency that they very much need these final two months. So I just thought about this. Under Alex Anthopoulos, the Braves have traded three guys who were at one time or another top 10 prospects in the organization. They were Colby Allard, Joey Wentz, Joey Wentz and Bryce Wilson. Yep. All three of them were traded for pitchers. Yep. Colby Allard for Chris Martin, Joey Wentz for Shane Green, and now Bryce Wilson for Rich Rodriguez. I, I guess I always thought when they spent prospect capital, it was going to be for a bat. Mm-hmm. But there's, it's funny that these, all these top 10 guys that were arms were all ended up being traded for other arms. It's interesting that all three of those guys were cashed in for relievers, which kind of brought me back yeah. to something I tweeted yesterday. And we'll kind of start to wrap up our discussion of Braves trades and discuss what was a crazy day all around Major League Baseball. But when the Braves drafted so many pitchers, and it kind of became that joke about, hey, who are the Braves drafting? Another pitcher, another pitcher, another pitcher. Are they ever going to draft a bat? Well, you know a lot of relievers end up being former starters in their minor league days at the very least. Have you been surprised that the Braves haven't turned some of these really highly touted arms into perhaps big high leverage relievers or at least potentially guys who could help out in building a bullpen because you want to grow relievers just as much as you want to grow starters don't you yeah i mean i think you know tukey tucson has such a ridiculous slider right i mean you think what that would look like in in small doses out of the pen i mean but obviously he's you know been able to have the success he's had you know, for the most part, as a starter this year. I mean, Kyle Muller has been great. I mean, you think about what that arm would look like. I think, you know, they tried it with Sean Newcomb, um, and it just hasn't taken, I think, the way they wanted it to. Now, will they be able to pull it off with Oscar Yanoa, mm-hmm. you know, when he's able to come back? I think that could be an interesting wrinkle. But, yeah, it's it's interesting that they don't seem to be and, – and I don't know if that's because you can either take a starter that's – got prospect value and ultimately move him to someone else for something like a Richard Rodriguez or a Shane Green or a Chris Martin, because he's that prospect still has value as a starter to another organization. But sure. if you make him into a reliever, what is this value then? No, that's true. Maybe I, that's what it, you know, maybe that's what it's all about. Maybe yeah. it's like, well, if he, if he has that, if people have that view of him, let's capitalize on that as opposed to trying to turn him into something else. No, I understand that. I guess what I'm kind of looking at is there were times where, you, know, you didn't have to be wholly reliant on making trades. Sure, you want to make the ones that make your club better, and they should use these prospects and use that capital to go out and get players who can help you out. I think the thing that I look at more so is that a lot of young pitchers that we brought around and given that opportunity to become a starting pitcher, they would also be brought up to the big leagues, sometimes working out of the bullpen primarily. I just feel like the Braves and maybe a lot of other clubs as well, I'd have to really do some research, I guess, more so on how – uh, guys are being utilized, but it just doesn't seem that's the route anymore. That you bring a guy up, yeah. let him get those 30, 35 appearances helping you out of the bullpen that one season, and then maybe you start to revisit where he might fit in as the fifth starter or the fourth starter the next year. But uh, we saw what Max Fried was able to do in relief. That's really the only example I can think about taking one of your promising young starting pitching prospects and really trying to cash in that chip in a different way. This is something I remember Anthopoulos talking about before that when, you know, when he was in Toronto, you know, that that was something that they had had success, you know, doing with guys was, you know, having them come up and, and, you know, working them in out of, he mentioned Aaron Sanchez as right. someone that they did that with, you know, that they ultimately were able to turn him into us, into a starter after, you know, primarily bringing him out at the bullpen at the beginning. But it just seems like no one's willing to do that anymore. You just, you get them to the point where the innings are built up at the minor league and then you just move them in and see if they're ready. It just, yeah, it's it. 
as much as we talk about, you know, young position players, you know, and, and their usage, it seems like with the pitchers, it's, it's, you're only getting in one way and, and that's going to be as, as a starter. No one yeah. really seems to want to try to utilize, utilize these guys in a different way. Yeah. And this is less of a criticism and more of just an observation about the modern game, really, for me. I just thought it was a question worth asking. And as you look at some of these guys that have been able to, I guess, establish themselves at the big leagues and some of the guys that are working very hard to do it right now, maybe you look at the bullpen and think, well, that's not exactly you know, where they want to be is their first choice. But there's a lot to be said about being brought along and learning some things about major league hitters and getting that opportunity to maybe have what almost is like an orientation type season before maybe getting them back on track to being starters. But the Braves were not the only team that was super busy on the trade deadline and in the days leading up to it. There was a lot going on around major league baseball. And we saw the Cubs and Nationals both tearing things down. These are teams that not too long ago, Corey, won a World Series 2016 for the Cubs. 2019 for the Nationals, and I don't think we're surprised to see at the front of the line doing some buying, the big spending Dodgers who acquired Max Scherzer and Trey Turner from Washington. You saw the Yankees, meanwhile, over in the American League, reeling in Joey Gallo from the Rangers, Anthony Rizzo from the Cubs. The White Sox got Craig Kimbrell coming from the Crosstown Cubs. Chris Bryant was shipped out to the San Francisco Giants. Then the Mets reeled in Javi Baez of the Cubs. They also added Rich Hill and Trevor Williams, but as you were talking about earlier, they got bad news on Jacob deGrom's health. Uh, as you look down in Philadelphia, a good trade, I think, for them to land Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy, at least give them some depth and some guys that can help out, bring back Freddie Galvis, guy they know pretty well. All in all, a really busy day, and those are just some of the highlights, but uh, what did you like that you saw that other clubs were doing, and what was your reaction, of course, starting with a blockbuster of Scherzer and Trey Turner heading to the Dodgers? Honestly, I thought that Gibson-Kennedy deal would have been a fantastic deal for the Braves. Sure. I mean, that would have to, to me, I mean, that's that would have been an awesome package for them to have gotten for the Rangers. But I don't even know how Dave Roberts is going to juggle all this, right? I mean, the first blush thing you think about with the Dodgers is, okay, if Trevor Bauer never pitches again this season, that rotation is still just ridiculous. And if he does pitch, it's insane level, right? I mean, how much talent they have there. And I, you know, I think, too, it also maybe leads you a little bit to how they think the Corey Seager negotiations are going to go. That, that you bring in Trey Turner. Yeah, I mean, perhaps. I, I think that's certainly an element of it as well. I, I think you you tweeted this out yesterday. These feel like fantasy trades, right? They did. This I mean, one these feel like <laughs> That's what it feels like. I mean, this is like all these names. I mean, it, I don't know. This is, it's hard to, to put it into words because it was just so insane to see the, this amount of names and these amount of, you know, superstars, mm-hmm. uh, for lack of a better term, uh, you know, being – being shipped around. I mean, it, it was absolutely crazy. And it, and it has to be, have been a really bad day to be a Cubs fan. I mean, you knew it was mm-hmm. coming. I'm imagining Jason Hayward as Will Smith in that last episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air looking around wondering where everyone's backed at. Up, uh, yeah. yeah, it was going to happen at some point. And they knew it was going to happen. But man, and good on Craig Kimberly. He doesn't even have to hire a moving company. Just, no. Just uh, go to the south side. No, it just has to find a little bit of cross-down traffic, I guess. And as, as I look at the big deals, the overall size of the Cubs deals, plural, in breaking down their team and more or less signaling that, hey, a rebuilding time is finally here, whether or not we tried to put it off for a couple of years or not. The Nationals fall was a little bit quicker because they were a club that had just won the World Series. I mean, you knew Max Scherzer was nearing the end of his big money contract. I figured that there would be some attempt, perhaps, to keep Trey Turner around. You've already lost Bryce Harper in recent years. You've lost Anthony Rendon. You re-signed Steven Strasburg. He got hurt. You went out and spent big on Patrick Corbin. He's been pretty underwhelming. 
Uh, John Lester came over to try to patchwork that rotation as well. He was traded out of town during the deadline. But I keep going back to the Dodgers because I just felt like when somebody asked me, hey, where do you think Max Scherzer ends up? My first reaction was probably with the Dodgers because I just looked at what they're dealing for with uh, Trevor Bauer's problems, taking him completely out of the picture there. Clayton Kershaw's on the injured list. They lost Dustin May. They just didn't have the same kind of depth that they entered the season with. So Scherzer made a ton of sense. And if there's a club that's got the money to pony up to pay him the remainder of his contract, which is a pretty hefty amount, you knew the Dodgers could do it. I just didn't expect them to go out there and get Trey Turner, but they got that deal done. They got two impact players for the drive in what has been, again, a very competitive National League West. That race I don't think is over by a long shot either. Giants haven't gone away. The Padres are there. The Dodgers are there. And these are teams that are going to fight to win the division. And then the other two are going to get into the wild card. And I don't think there's any other way around it for clubs like the Braves or anybody else. The Central now belongs to the Brewers at this point. The East is still up for grabs. But your road to the postseason, if you're Atlanta, it ain't running through the wild card because what's happening out West has certainly been wild. Yeah, I mean, I will say if the Braves do get in, I mean, it seems daunting, right? I mean, it, it, it's almost like this year just getting in is a win. I don't think if they get in, anyone's going to anticipate them being able to make a, a deep run. And, and that, that West is just so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And the amount of guys going out there now. And you think about Trey Turner, this guy's going to be under control for another year. I mean, yeah. it's the, the, this Dodgers you know, celebrity tour that they've got going around on this roster isn't going anywhere. And um, yeah, it, I mean, obviously there's some bad news from San Diego though with Tatis and his shoulder, and you hope that he doesn't miss much time because that guy's just so much fun to watch. I mean, it's you, you hate that baseball kind of teaches guys lessons, right? Like, I mean, you think about like as hard as guys play, that ultimately they're sometimes their body, you know, uh, take it, it takes a toll on them. And you know, yeah. we've seen this with Acuna, now we're seeing it with Tatis, and you just hope it doesn't end up impacting you know what's been a, a really great season to watch one of the, the best young talents in baseball but i um, mean the, the, the west i mean every night i'm, I'm going over on the mlb package watching some of those west coast games because man those teams are just a blast yeah no they are it's a lot of fun and you don't want to see the young talents of baseball sitting on the sidelines that's happened obviously with acuna and for the padres perhaps we'll see uh, what the future is for fernando tatis this year after another shoulder injury And it had to be a pretty rough 24 hours because the other caveat to that Scherzer trade, at least as far as the Padres are concerned, was they seemed to be close to a deal. So close that Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic reported that the sources were telling him this deal was very close. But as it turned out, the Dodgers swooped in, got not only Scherzer, but Trey Turner, and they did a little game of keep away, keeping Scherzer from going to San Diego. Yeah, I had heard of Jim Bowden talking about this yesterday on MLB Network Radio, and he said, you know, that was the oldest trick in the book. You just let it leak out there that you've got a deal done, that somebody's got a deal done, and then all of a sudden the, the ante's upped a little bit here, and you end up getting the deal that you want. So, um, yeah, trade. I mean, obviously getting Trey Turner along for the ride was the was the the real what really pushed that over the top. But yeah, some some gamesmanship there. It would seem uh, working one of the best reporters in the business. Yeah, it might have been. And those are certainly games that are played by general managers, executives, agents, and all the likes that I'm sure Ken Rosenthal is talking to on a fairly decent basis. But going down the list of some of these other deals, we talked about Craig Kimbrell heading over to the White Sox. Cubs did get themselves a pretty good second baseman in Nick Madrigal. That's a long-term building block for them, uh, along with the pitching prospects. So as far as deals are concerned, you know, the Cubs did pretty well, I thought, with that one. Chris Bryant was more of a true rental Craig Kimbrell, I believe the White Sox can hold on to through next year if they pick up his option. But 
Yeah, they did what they could, I think, the Cubs, with some of these guys on expiring contracts. We also know Anthony Rizzo heading over to the Yankees. And again, as you pointed out, with Javi Baez now also in New York, over with the Mets, that this was just the breaking down of what was really the core players in the 2016 World Champion Cubs, a championship they waited, what, 108 years to win. I think you have to ask yourself when you're Jed Hoyer or any other GM who's in the situation where you've got a core like that and they're all coming up together, what's better? Is it what you get at the deadline? Is it better than what you would ultimately get with if you were to offer them you know, a qualifying offer and let mm-hmm. them walk? Yeah, And I think you can definitely make the case that Jed Hoyer did better yesterday uh, than he would have did waiting in, in getting compensatory picks. I mean, he wasn't going to get anyone near the value of a, of a Nick Madrigal that he got from the, the White Sox and the Craig Kimbrell deal. I mean, that obviously is not going to happen. I mean, I think they, they did the best job they could. I think you can also say from the flip side of that, what in the world were the Rockies doing? Oh, yeah, I want to get mean, to how, that. How, how, so I, I think that's the other side of it, but – yeah, I think the Cubs, I think they did extremely well yesterday. I think they got value for the guys that they did move. And, you know, uh, there's going to be a lot of jerseys for sale um, in and around Wrigley uh, with guys that were meaningful to that fan base. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, uh, I think Jed Hoyer did as well as he could. Yeah, and you had to try to get what you could because the other option is you let these guys walk, you get a compensatory pick, which then it's a lottery ticket. You have to wait a while on that guy to come make an impact, whereas with Nick Madrigal, you can go ahead and scout him, see what he's done, and maybe project him, and certainly he's going to be there a lot quicker than any compensatory draft pick is going to be. And we can talk a lot about the deals that were made, but as you just brought up, and something that really surprised me was the Rockies' reluctance to trade Trevor Story, who's a free agent at season's end. And I guess to a lesser extent, you could throw John Gray in there as well, but a Colorado Corey, to me, has been leading the league in perplexing front office decision-making for a while. So this seems like a huge missed opportunity, particularly with Story, but unfortunately, it also seems part and parcel for the way the Rockies have been running their franchise. Well, the word was that their owner had a lot to do with it, with them, you know, with the deal that they would ultimately move on from Arenado. So you would think when you do that, that mm-hmm. ownership would be well behind you going out and trying to move story in the same way. I mean, it's I, I just don't get it. I mean, and then you have story yesterday, you know, coming out and saying he just doesn't understand what's going on. You know that he he's it's a sad situation. I mean, that's there's no way in the world this guy's staying put and you know, he's not staying put. He wants to win and you don't move him. I just don't, I don't understand. I mean, the reds are dying for help in this at shortstop. I mean, there was talk of a contender moving him to center field. I mean, it's, you had options and yeah. the fact they held on to him. I mean, it's, it's insane. I mean, that interim GM it, it is almost guaranteed himself not, not being the actual GM. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, and I almost wonder if perhaps because you're an interim general manager that maybe you don't have the full authority to do these kind of things. Maybe there was some more meddling from ownership. Maybe there were a whole lot of mixed messages. Maybe there was uh, analysis, paralysis, whatever you want to call it. But I know Trevor's story, just from his comments that came out from the Rockies media, he seemed to be very unexcited about what happened at the trade deadline or I guess what didn't there was a whole lot swirling around and then really nothing happened and I don't know that he's particularly long to be in Colorado after this because they haven't pursued making an extension happen have the Rockies and for Trevor Story he's knocking on the door of free agency he's not coming off his greatest season yet but he's an awfully talented player what that means outside of Coors Field I don't know there's that caveat you I think you always have to associate with Rockies hitters unless or until they show you something they can do outside of that, a la a Matt Holiday, perhaps. But, man, there are a lot of clubs that would line up around the block to have a crack at having Trevor Story, and I can't imagine that there weren't a whole bunch of them 
that made some phone calls over the last month or so to Colorado. So, I mean, his, his comments actually yesterday, he said, I'm confused and don't really have anything good yeah. to say about the situation and how it unfolded. Those were, yeah. But even if they did offer him an extension or why would you take it? I mean, you just watched them tell Arenado that they told Nolan Arenado that he was, here's your deal. We're going to build around you. And two years later, he's gone. Yeah. I mean, I don't, to me, it's just, it's, it's a mess. Words it's a mess not out worth there. much if that's how that plays out. Yeah. So I, it's tough. I mean, you know, I just can't imagine that they, that they didn't get offered value that was equal to a compensatory pick. I don't know how anyone wouldn't have, because Bill Schmidt, who's the energy and that's what he, that's what he told MOB.com that the organization felt any trade offer had to be at least the value of a compensatory pick. I can, I have a very hard time believing that for Trevor story services, even as a rental that he would, they were not going to get the value of a, someone the value of a compensatory pick. All right, well, Corey, as we wrap things up here, we've talked a lot about trades. Let's take a look ahead at what's going on for the Braves. And in doing so, but not just looking at the schedule, but as we turn the calendar to the month of August, there are some returns on the horizon for the Braves. Travis Darno, the Braves starting catcher, who's been out since the beginning of May after tearing a ligament in his thumb. He's on a rehab assignment with Gwinnett right now and could be back soon. You've also got Waskari Noah and Ian Anderson, who are ramping themselves up and hopefully returning to the Braves sometime soon. As we talked about, you needed to go out and do something at the trade deadline, and you couldn't just sit around and wait on these guys to come back. It certainly looks a lot stronger when you've gone out, gotten some depth, some sluggers, and some quality that you can at least mix and match to try to help your outfield out. You get a Richard Rodriguez, and then you welcome back some guys that could be pretty pivotal for the Braves that have shown flashes this year, certainly Ian Anderson, and certainly Travis Darno have already I think established themselves as big players for the Braves, but I loved what I saw out of Waskar Enoa. And as we talked about earlier about young prospects and guys that could help out in the bullpen, boy, Enoa certainly has the stuff that you would need to have some success out of the pen. Enoa's slider is 5.0, runs above average uh, WSL. Uh, That's just behind Blake Snell, Herman Marquez, and Trevor Bauer, among those with at least 40 innings pitched. So that could be a major weapon coming out of the bullpen if that's what they ultimately decide to do with him. Um, one of the things Brian Snicker did mention was, you know, with, you know, it, it was a hand injury, not the arm. So they still yeah. feel like, you know, he's not going to have to have that same recovery time as maybe somebody else did. So um, obviously, you know, opportunity for him to be a big contributor for them. I would expect it to be out of the bullpen. Um, with Darno, you know, as much as I, I, I think you look at this lineup and say you put him in, as a guy last year who hit 44% above league average, and all of a sudden this is a pretty potent lineup, he was really struggling this year. So, um, you know, we'll see if he's looking anything close to that. His hard hit rate this year had mm-hmm. dropped uh, 21.3% to 36.5. So among qualified hitters, that would have, that would be the biggest drop year over year in the majors by a huge margin if he was a qualified hitter. So um, as much as you're excited to potentially have Travis Darno back, what version of Travis Darno are you going to get? No, that's a good question, but I will point out that he basically only got the month of April. So if we're playing the sample size game, then perhaps he'll come back a little yeah. bit stronger yeah. or at least maybe just having hit that reset button and you get a better version of Travis Darno, something that resembled maybe what he was doing down in Tampa Bay before he signed with the Braves. That would be quite a lift for the Braves over the next couple of months. Looking ahead on the schedule, Braves will finish up a series this weekend at Truist Park with the Milwaukee Brewers. They'll wrap that on Sunday. Off day on Monday, head up to St. Louis to play the Cardinals for three and then come back and have a three-game set against the Nationals, then a three-game set against the Cincinnati Reds. So the Braves, by and large, are beginning August and, and wrapping up July 
at home. So they got to play well at Truist Park, and then they've got to go out and play some uh, tough opponents, regardless of where you're playing them, and figure out a way as you go through the rest of this month to stay in this race because, you know, as you look ahead, you know, through this month, the Nationals have taken apart their team. The Marlins, they were already struggling this year, but they've had the Braves number. You got a series with the Orioles, then you're going to be running into the Yankees, the Giants, and the Dodgers by the time this month ends. So you better beat up on the teams that you should be beating up on because you're going to have quite the fight on your hands as you head through the month of August, regardless of who's coming back and what trades you've made. You just got to go out there and win. As easy as it is to say, beat the teams you're supposed to beat. Sure. Because if they don't, this is going to be daunting to think about having the Yankees and the Giants at home back-to-back series and then going out to L.A. for three. So going into the final month of the season, uh, facing one of the, uh, the the defending champion, the team that, that spoiled your season last year, uh, and then it's things even, you know, you got to face the Giants again before the year's up. Then you got the Padres. I mean, mm-hmm. we could go on and on, but um, I, I hope when the Nationals come into town August 6th and they're wearing name tags because I have a feeling that the Braves are not going to know who a lot of these guys are. Yeah, I believe that they will be getting to know quite a few new faces, and so will Washington baseball fans. It's going to be a little bit different. I don't know if it feels a, a little bit strange saying goodbye to guys like Scherzer and Turner. I'm sure it does. Those were critical pieces in winning that World Series in 2019. So uh, when it comes down to it, they'll leave some pretty good legacies behind themselves. The Nationals, even if the present right now, It's certainly not what Washington thought it would be less than two calendar years after winning that World Series back in 2019. But that pretty much brings us to a close here. Corey, I appreciate all your time. I think we covered a whole lot of stuff here, and I hope the majority of it made sense because we had an awful lot of teams and names and places and comings and goings, but I appreciate you helping me sift through all of it. You got it. So we'll do our Loki recap podcast next, so I can't wait for that. I look forward to that. Perhaps it'll be a secret bonus episode. But, Corey, I appreciate it as always. Hope you are doing well and look forward to doing this again soon. All right, man. Thank you so much. So that'll do it for a very busy trade deadline edition of From the Diamond. I appreciate Corey McCartney joining me once again, and I appreciate you making From the Diamond part of your baseball podcast regimen. Make sure you're subscribed. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And you can find every episode and much more at FromTheDiamond.com. So the Braves will embark on an exciting run throughout the final couple of months. They're hoping to give the Mets a run for their money and perhaps win another National League East crown and punch their ticket to the postseason before all is said and done. My thanks once again to Corey McCartney for jumping on the show today and for you for tuning in to From the Diamond. I look forward to catching up with all of you soon. Until then, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.